This is Pastor Derek Thomas of Living Witness Ministries, and I want to welcome you to the Living Word Podcast. I pray that today's teaching blesses you, inspires you, and encourages you to live a life worthy of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that we serve. God bless. Living Witness Ministries is a church on the move that's dedicated to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ through the preached and taught word, community outreach, and practical ministry designed to save souls and change lives. You can sow into the ministry via our cash app at dollar sign LW Ministries 2020. That's dollar sign LW Ministries 2020. Sow your seed in the good ground of Living Witness Ministries today. And thank you for helping us reach the world with the life-giving word. And in looking at the work of ministry and where and how we launch our ministry, we, we realize that the key is to gain clarity and understanding of what our mission is. So when we look at our purpose this week, we look at our purpose and the point to ponder in our purpose in our time together this week is the reality that your purpose is to share the good news with unbelievers. We have to realize that we were created to tell the world about Jesus Christ and we were created to do so so that others might come to know him and do likewise. Because it's only as we meet the condition of being effective in our mission that we can meet the condition of being effective in our ministry. So just as we looked at the question last week of what's significant about my ministry, the question we want to address and look at this week is what are the objectives of my mission? And if we look at that, I'm sure we can come up with a, a, a whole host of reasons of what the objective objective of my mission is. It's kind of like I used to watch the show Mission Impossible when I was growing up and, and the missions were so diverse and the missions were so crazy. They were all over the place. And the, the, the thing that I thought was so cool is that once you got your marching orders, the tape would self-destruct in, in five seconds. And so nobody else could see it. But God desires us to function very differently. He wants us to go into all the world and make disciples. He wants everybody to know about this. So our mission is going to be around until the Lord comes back. And God desires us to be active in fulfilling our mission and active in being very good at executing our mission. So when we begin to look at the objective of our mission, we're going to be looking at three basic objectives as it pertains to our mission on tonight. The first objective of your mission in a purpose-driven driven living sort of way is reaching out to non-believers and not at them. And that's critical to understand because when you're reaching out to an individual, that means you're reaching out with the intent of making contact with them. And so many individuals that that say that they're out doing the work of evangelism and say that they're out making a difference and, and, and reaching out for the lost are doing just that they're reaching, but they're reaching based on the assumption that they're just doing it just to be doing it. They're not reaching with the intent of grabbing anything. They're not reaching with the intent of feeling something on the other end of that reach. 
They're not reaching with the intent of laying hold to someone and, and, and pulling them in and, and making a difference in their lives. So they're reaching at people. And, and God does not want us to be individuals that reach at individuals. But he wants us to be individuals that reach out to non-believers. And a lot of individuals that just don't believe in Jesus Christ, I, I would beg to say virtually all individuals that don't believe in Jesus Christ at some level of their being on the inside have a hurt or disappointment that is in part or in full stopping them from receiving the salvation of Jesus Christ. It comes down to belief, non-believers, meaning that I don't believe. If one doesn't believe something, you have to tap into and tap into the why behind they don't believe. You have to tap into the why behind why they don't believe. It could be because they've been disappointed. It could be because they're not certain. It could be because they were given misinformation or given malinformation. It could be because they tried it and they were hurt deeply, whatever the cause the key to being an effective witness in reaching non-believers is being willing to reach out to them. We can't make the mistake of saying that if an individual that doesn't know Christ doesn't know Christ, we're going to read what this self-help book says or, or that pop culture book says when all we have to do is read the book that's placed in front of us. The Bible lets us know as it pertains to us as believers that our lives should be lived as epistles to be written to be to, uh, written rather as epistles to be read of men. So our lives are lives that are designed so that people can read them. They can see the, the relationship with Jesus Christ that we have in our actions. They can hear the relationship with Jesus Christ that we have through our words, that they can feel the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ through our actions. And I would beg to say that as it pertains to not having a relationship with Christ, individuals that don't know Christ, that same air exudes off of them as well. But what we have to do is we have to change the narrative in their lives. And we have to change the narrative by letting them know intentionally that we're reaching out to you. Our purpose is to come and get you. We're not just out here uh, going through the motions. We're not just out here doing this just to be seen. We're not just out here doing this, trying to get our 15 minutes of fame. We're doing this because we love you enough to want to meet you where you are, just like Jesus did, and share with you the good news of Jesus Christ and let you know that Jesus loves you enough to want to bring you in out of the darkness and into the marvelous light of salvation with him. Luke 5.32 sums it up this way. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's what Jesus said. I, I, I didn't come to get those that were, were, were deemed righteous. I didn't come to get those that already have it all together. I, I didn't come to, to, to deal with the folks that are well. If I could take the hospital analogy, I didn't come because all of you all are well. And I just came to let you know that you're well. You all are already in good standing. Continue to stay in good standing. That lets me know that you know what it takes to, to get to a point of being healthy and to maintain your health. I'm here for the ones that are sick to teach them and show them how they can get healthy, how they can get on the road to recovery. And that's what God desires for us to do, he desires us to reach out to people, to let them know, hey, look, God is sending a personal invitation to himself in the form of me. He sent a walking, talking, three-dimensional breathing invitation to you in the form of me to let you know 
that God loves you enough to want you to come home. He loves you enough to want you to come back to him. He loves you enough to want you to come back to the things that he's created for you, to be in a position to go and stay in the areas and the places where he's prepared for us to love him. So we've got to be serious about doing this work of ministry, and we've got to be serious about maintaining our posture concerning our purpose with regards to our mission. We've got to understand that our mission is legit. It's real. It's a mission that God is looking closely at. It's a mission that's so important that we don't have time or the wherewithal to mess it up because people are literally dying and going to hell. And God needs us to be about his business as our father. He needs us to be about his business to get the work of ministry done and to get the word of the good news out to everybody. So many people talk about how they want Jesus to come back. Lord, I wish you could come back. I wish you were on your way back right now today. And there are many days I feel the same way. But we have to look at it from the standpoint of reality. The reality of the situation is, and it states it in, in, in the word, the reality of the situation is, is that Jesus Christ is not coming back until the conditions are met in full. And part of the conditions is, is that the gospel is preached in every corner of the globe. That means every body on the face of the earth has to hear the gospel story and be given the decision at least once before Jesus is coming back, which means the more diligent we are about doing our mission. While no man knows the day nor the hour, as the word says, we can definitely do our part to do all that we can to try to hasten that day. Only the father knows that day. Only God, the father knows this is the day. But one thing God cannot do is lie against himself. And if it's written in the word that the gospel needs to be preached in every corner of the globe, how can we say, when are you coming, Lord? When are you coming, Lord? And we've been given a mission to do and we're not doing our mission. We're just sitting on our hands or sitting on our praise or sitting on our worship or sitting on the work that we need to do. We can't expect God to come back if we're not being serious about what it is that he's given us to do. So we've got to stop living lives that are based on convenience and living lives that are based on ease and living lives that are based on what we can gain and what we can get and get back to living our lives for the purpose that God created us for. And we've been talking about the purpose that God created us for throughout this series. And tonight is a capstone on it to finish it all out, which means we got to get our go home activity right. Because we're trying to go home. You, you know a song, Get Right Church and Let's Go Home. Well, we all know the let's go home part. This lesson is about us as a church getting it right. Getting it right as it pertains to our mission. Getting right as it pertains to being prepared for our mission. So not only do we have to reach out to non-believers and not at them, but we secondly have to free God's children from Satan's power. And I really want to spend some time here because I, I was involved in a dialogue uh, with with my wife um, last night about, you know, some dialogue that had taken place uh, in, a, in a study that she was a part of uh, about uh, the enemy and about the, the degree of power that the enemy has. And I purposely selected this particular phraseology in this point. Because in selecting this particular phraseology in this point, I want to take this phraseology to show you that the focus should not be on. And I really want you to catch this because I'm going to take my time and really explain it. I don't want you to focus on this, the power in Satan's power 
in that objective. I want you to focus on the freeing of God's children in this particular passage. And the reason why is this. The fundamental truth that the enemy would love to keep believers from understanding is that Satan, the enemy, the devil, whatever name you choose, does not have the capacity to create. Let me say that again. As it pertains to the divine things, like God said, let there be light and there was. God said, let there be land and the sea and the birds and the fish and the fowl. God has the capacity to do that. The enemy does not have the capacity to create. All the enemy can do is recreate. And that's significant because what the enemy does is he plays on the turf and the territory of the mind. And in playing on the turf and the territory of the mind, the enemy introduces thoughts and, and, and memories and, 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 and illusions that seem real and it make everything seem real to the individual that's experiencing it in the mind. But what's, being, what's been put there with the projection that the enemy's using in the form of those memories is designed not to stir the mind, but to stir the emotions, to stir the things that are going to prompt our flesh to move. And when we stop being led by the spirit and stop minding the things of God and begin to go after our flesh, the mind begins to get bound by those thoughts and those ideas that the enemy sends. So that's why as believers in our prayer time, we have to pray constantly against mind binding spirits or spirits that are designed to get our focus off the things of God. Because the word says, let this mind be in you, which also is in Christ Jesus. So if our mind is set on Christ Jesus, our mind is going to be set on the things that Jesus's mind was set on, which means our minds are going to deem as important and a priority the same things that the things that Jesus in his mind, deemed as important and a priority, the primary of which was us. So if serving and pleasing the Father was at the top of mind degree of awareness for Jesus Christ, serving and pleasing the Father should be at our top of mind awareness. And this is where the genius in this comes into play for us as believers. So what happens is when we set our mind on the things of God and set our minds on the Father, that means that we're in pursuit of the Son. And in being in pursuit of the son, what happens is as we pursue the son, we begin to free our minds once again. And as we free our minds once again, we can then move in such a fashion so that we don't fall prey to the perceived power that the enemy is throwing out there. Because it's just that it's perceived power. The power that the enemy has in our lives or the power, better way to phrase it, that, the, that we allow the enemy to step into in our lives is not possessed by the enemy. It's possessed by our willingness or lack thereof to follow in having the mind of Christ.
So our job as individuals, as believers that are truly saved by grace and that are aspiring to live this thing in a way that pleases God, our job is to educate, to re-educate people, to educate non-believers. Uh, in, in this case, since we're following our mission, to educate non-believers, to get back to doing the work of ministry, to understand that the mind and the power of the mind and the power of the things of the mind uh, of the mind are, are critical for us to master so that we can truly be all that God has called us to be. God desires us to walk in the fullness of our anointing, and he desires us to walk in the fullness of the liberty that he has for us. And as we walk in that fullness, what God begins to do is he begins to bless in, in, in a way that sets people free. First Peter 5 and 8 puts it this way. Once we get to that point of, of, of finding that degree of liberty and finding that degree of freedom because our minds have truly been set free. This is how we're to live. It says be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And the reason why this passage was chosen and the reason why I love this passage so much is that it puts the devil in his proper place from a perspective standpoint. So many individuals that have not said yes to Jesus believe that the devil has power to, to do things. But if you see here, if we're walking in a mind of sobriety and we're walking in a mind of vigilance, we understand that our adversary is the enemy, is the devil. But we also understand that because all the devil can do is recreate and not create, we, we, we realize and understand that with the devil being able to recreate only and not create, he presents himself as an imminent threat. That's why it says here, the devil as it, it, our adversary, the devil as a roaring lion. That means that he's walking around acting like it. He may sound like it. He may even look like it. But upon further review, if you take a closer examination, you'll notice that that lion that's roaring at you doesn't have any teeth. There's no bite to it. It's just all noise. Why? Because the enemy has no power save the power that we allow him to have as we take our mind off of the things of God. So we've got to understand and realize that it's if I could take a term, that, a phrase that everybody knows, it really is a matter of it really is a, a, an issue of mind over matter. And the way it was taught to me, people being facetious, if you don't mind, it don't matter. I'm, I'm here to say very much the opposite. If you don't mind, it does matter. Because if you don't mind the things that you set your mind on, if you don't mind what's crossing over and through your different gates, your eye gates, your ear gates, your, your lips, your, your hands, all that stuff, what will happen is it will matter because what will happen is that, that as A will begin to disappear, and then they'll get distorted thinking the, the devil, a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion. And that's the bondage that so many people are walking in that don't know Christ. And, and living a life that's a purpose-driven life is a life that we understand is not about us. That was lesson one. We understand it's not about us. But above and beyond it being not about us and it being about God, it's about us doing all that we can to be a blessing to other people so that they can experience the same measure of liberty that we now have, because once we come into the fullness of the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ, it changes our whole perspective of things. It's kind of like knowing something 
in the, the way I put it, it's kind of like knowing something in theory versus knowing something in practice. An example that I think of from my own life is when I was learning how to drive. When I was learning how to drive in high school, they gave us a book that we had to study in the classroom space, a textbook. And the textbook was supposed to be used along with like the state rules of the road book. And I don't remember the name of the textbook, but I remember the picture. And I still remember the picture like I remember my own name. The picture was of a top view of a manual transmission gear shift. And it had the numbers on there and it had the lines and it showed how the lines go to one, to two, to three, to four, all the different gears. And as I read it, I got it in theory. I'm like, I get it. I can drive a, a stick shift car because I always thought driving a stick shift car was cool. I thought it was super cool when I was 16 years old. Um, so what happened was, you know, I, the first car I bought, the first new car I bought when I was in college, I bought a, a stick shift. I bought a manual transmission car and I bought that car. And I'm like, in theory, I can do this. I can do this in theory. Well, a funny thing happened that happens between theory and practice. In theory, you might be able to do something. But in practice, when I got in, I started grinding gears. I had the car died out on me. I was putting it in reverse, thinking I was going forward. It was a mess. But what happened was. As I began to stop letting it have dominion over me, thinking that I can't do it and began to realize I know what to do. It's just a matter of taking the theory that I already understand and applying that theory in the midst of this situation and having the discipline to not allow my mind to drift away from the theory that I already know into the mayhem that might be happening in the moment. Because as long as I understand the theory and have the discipline to apply the tenets of the theory, eventually the circumstances have to line up with the theory because the theory is right. If God is a source of where we're getting our insight and God is a source of where we're getting our information and getting our inspiration. And we have the discipline to keep our minds set as Christ did on the father and the things that the father has for us. No matter what kind of mayhem is going on in our own lives, no matter what kind of mayhem is going on in the lives of other people. As long as we have the discipline to do that, eventually those things have to line up with God's word. And our mission is to go out and show people the liberty that they walk in. And the liberty that they walk in, that their mind gives them. The key is to get their minds freed from the bondage that the enemy seeks to put their minds in. Another verse that I didn't put up here, that, that's another fantastic verse, is that, that, that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, it goes on to, see, to say, has set them free from the law of sin and death. So what that's saying is that if we've been recreated and we've taken our focus off of our circumstances and put our focus back on our savior, things have to change. We become new creatures. All the old ways of thinking and doing things, they pass away. Everything becomes new. We have lives that are now clean slates. Does that mean that we don't have to do any work? Absolutely not. We do have to work because faith without works is dead, profit and nothing. And it does not mean that our salvation is a works based proposition. It means that the faith that we have should prompt us to want to take the action necessary to be in line and in tune with God's will. 
So our mission is very clear that we have work to do beginning with ourselves and through ourselves begin to allow God to move through us to bless other people. So we reach out to non-believers and not at them because God has given us a very real message to make a difference in their lives. And we do so with the intent of freeing them as God's children, as our brothers and sisters from Satan's power or Satan's perceived power. And we do it by example. And that's the third and I would say most important and lasting objective of our mission in purpose driven living. And that's sharing the love of Christ with everyone you meet so that those who don't believe might see him alive in you. People learn from what they see more than anything else. By nature, I'm a person that learns by doing. But sometimes in the midst of my doing, I need to stop every now and then. I'm one of those maybe two guys on the face of the planet that actually reads the instructions. And I learned that from wisdom because I got sick and tired of having to take stuff apart because I put it together wrong and I had pieces left over. So periodically, as I'm doing it, what I feel is my way. I take a minute just to glance at the picture, just to make sure that I'm still heading in the right direction. Sometimes a picture, like the saying says, really is worth a thousand words. And sometimes the most powerful testimony that we can give, the most powerful witness that we can give for Christ is the picture that our lives become. So as we begin to strive to live our lives by continuing to keep our mind on the things that Christ's mind were on, which is the things of God, and continue to intentionally reach out to non-believers and not at them, we're letting them know with our words, but more importantly, with our actions. I see you. I hear you. I love you. I understand. I want to help you. I'm not out here because it's glamorous. I'm not out here and there's not a single camera out here. I'm not looking for anything. I'm not seeking any kind of recognition. All I'm seeking is souls just like yours. That's the significance of, of this weekend and significance for us of, of this weekend as we go to, to East Point. We're, we're seeking souls. We're not seeking notoriety. We're not seeking to be seen. We're not seeking to, to hear people say, oh, what a wonderful job you're doing. We're going because we're on a mission. And the mission that we're on is to help find souls. We're on a mission to find souls. We have our soul goals set. We have our, our ministry goals set. Now we need to become lightning focused, laser beam focused on the mission that's at hand. And we get focused on the mission that's at hand by making a conscious decision to live to the best of our ability in lockstep with God's will for our lives. So that people don't even see us when they see us. They see Christ in us when they see us. Because that's the hope of glory. It's Christ in us. The scripture says it. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory is the Christ that people see in you and I. Because what that does, that sparks hope in them saying, well, if he can save them, then he, he can save me. If he can meet them in the midst of their mess, especially if they know us, then there's hope for me, too. And Christ is saying, absolutely, there is hope. There's hope for each and every one of you because each and every one of you are fearfully and wonderfully made, meaning that you're one in a lot of one. You're the only one that was made in that addition. So if you're the only one that was made in that addition, that means that you're valuable to God because God doesn't make junk. 
So if you're valuable to God, he's going to do all he can to not only make sure that we have what we need, but make sure that he has all the parts that we need on standby to make sure that we're well. Let's put it this way in John 13 and 35. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. And you may say, well, pastor, how does that fit with what you just said? I'm going to tell you everything that I just said has a driving force behind it, because everything I just said is exactly what Jesus did in the 33 years that he was on the earth. And the one the driving force behind everything that Jesus did was love. He made it crystal clear that he loves us with an everlasting love. With an everlasting love, it means that means that it outlasts the worst that you could do to me. It outlasts the most vile thing that you can think of me. It outlasts the most hurtful and painful words that you can say to me. It outlasts your absolute worst because God in his infinite wisdom sent his son Jesus to give us the absolute best, even if it meant the absolute worst for him. And it did in the form of Calvary in man's eyes. But the genius is by Jesus doing what he did. He took the keys of death and hell in the grave away from Satan, leaving him powerless, as we said earlier, like that roaring lion. He can make all kinds of noise he wants to. But as long as we understand the truth, as long as we understand the theory and the concept and put it into practice, we have the capacity to change lives. We have the capacity to, through God, through Christ, turn around situations. And that's what God is calling us to do. We have the key to do it. We have the master key to do it. And our master key is the master himself. And he desires us to be the individuals that are carrying the key. That when we identify opportunities to use the key, he gives us the unction by the Holy Spirit to insert the key and to begin to turn the key to set the captives free. That's what our mission is. And it's love that has us do that. Love is what drives us to do it when we don't feel like doing it. Love is what drives us to do it gladly when the individuals don't deserve it. Love is what keeps us saying, forgive them for they know not what they do, just as Jesus did, as they're driving knives into our backs and, and driving knives through our hearts. Because as we do that, what we're doing is we're becoming an even clearer and an even more effective living witness of what God desires to do in us and desires to do through us. And as people see that example, as they begin to truly see us as the example that God has created us to be, that's when the change is going to begin to take place in other people. That's when the change is going to happen because another scripture I didn't put up here with loving kindness have I drawn thee. That's the key to drawing people to the word. With loving kindness, meaning we have to be patient, we have to be kind, we can't be envious, we can't be jealous, we can't be rude, but instead we bear, believe, hope, and endure all things. We don't rejoice in evil, but we rejoice in good. Those things take discipline because people, the enemy will allow people to, the enemy will rather, you know, in, in, in incite people through you know, touching them at the mind level to stir up their emotions will incite them to do stuff or say stuff or both to just push our buttons. But this is where we have to be resolute in our 
thinking and resolute in our actions that we're not going to let anything separate us from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus. Nothing. We're not going to let height. We're not going to let depth. And that doesn't only mean altitude in the natural. That even more so means height and depth in our emotions and our thinking and our fear and our doubt in the things that are not of God. Because the lower we keep those temperatures, the higher we can go in God. And we do that by continuing to bathe and wash and shower everything in the love of Jesus. Bathe everything in the love of Christ. Bathe it all in the love of Christ and you'll see how God moves in the midst of your circumstances. You'll see how God is moving and how 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 God is blessing. So to, to, to review these objectives, we have to realize that these objectives are all in play at any given point in time. And our ongoing objectives of our mission, if I can quote Mission Impossible one more time, should we choose to accept it? And I would pray and hope that we've all made the choice to accept it. The objectives of our mission are first to reach out to non-believers and not at them. To let them know intentionally, I'm coming for you. I'm here for you. I came to see you. The sole reason that I'm out here is to meet you where you are. I didn't come for form or fashion. I came by faith in the hopes that you'll hear what I have to say. Secondly, by freeing God's children from Satan's power. I, I, I hope you hear what I have to say because the things I have to say to you going on in the dialogue are designed to change your mindset, or I should say, change the things that you set your mind on. Because there are, everybody has something that their mind is set on. And while things might be important, there should be nothing that separates us from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus. And as we help you identify the things that you're allowing to come between you and God, you then can change your perspective and move them so that they then can become secondary to God. Because once God becomes first, then moving into the third objective, we begin to share Christ's love in a whole different way, in a whole higher and better way. To finish my story about the vehicle, I did it in theory and I grinded those gears and I bounced the car down the street and I stalled it out a few times. But one day I got in the car and I said, I'm not going to let this thing defeat me anymore. And, and, I, and I fooled around and got the mix of gas right as I gave it gas and I lifted my foot off the clutch. And before I knew it, the car was actually rolling. And it wasn't bouncing down the street and it wasn't cutting off and dying. So I'm like, OK, so I did it the first time. Then when I got to the point where I had to shift again, I did the same thing again the second time. And it was a little bit smoother the second time. And I took off a little bit faster Then the third time came and I did it a little bit faster the third time. And before I knew it, I was driving that car. And from that day to this, I can get in any manual transmission car and drive it. So God can use our lives and he uses our living witness by allowing him to be God, by allowing him to shine through us so that people can see the love of Christ. They can see what it is that we're asking them to believe in. And if they can see it and see it at work in our lives and see it and see it moving on our behalf and see it and see it moving in, in, in our lives to bring about change, life changing change, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of other people. People are more inclined to believe it. And that's what our purpose is. Our purpose is to lift up the name of Jesus so that people might come to the point of believing. And this is a perfect place to close out our personal purposes as a ministry. And I would hope that it'll be, they'll become your per personal purposes in life as well.
The purposes that we're taking away from the Purpose Driven Life series are six in number. And that's number one, to be the natural component of the Great Commission, the Great Co-Mission, a mission between us and God. Purpose number two, to be an accurate godly reflection in the earth. A clear example of what God can and will do in, with, and through us. Purpose number three, to be an integral part of God's family. Understand that we have value and importance and God desires us to tap into an understanding of that value and understanding of that importance. Not so that we might be built up, but so that instead we might continue to lift him up, lift him up and give him thanks for all that he's doing through us. Purpose number four. To be an active ambassador of Christ to all nations, meaning that this thing doesn't sleep. Our witness never sleeps. Even when we're sleeping, we have the capacity to witness. We have the capacity to, to be a blessing to people. We have a capacity to, to minister, as crazy as it sounds, even in times where it doesn't look like ministry is even possible. How? Because we are examples. Number five, we are living witnesses and examples, which leads us to purpose number five. We're faithful ministers of the gospel to God's people. The word ministry, as we talked about in the lesson, literally means to help. So if we're, take, if we're seeking to take a posture of helping, whatever it is that we're doing to help, that's our ministry in the moment. And if we do whatever it is that we're postured to do to be a help as unto the Lord, we're ministering in a way that's pleasing to God so that people can experience God where we are. And if people can experience God where we are, we then become purpose number six. And that's wise stewards over the time, talent and treasure that God has given us. And now those things that are driving force that help us fulfill our divine mission. And each of us have a divine mission. And each of us have to understand that our divine mission is for a set season. Because just as the book says, you know, uh, life is, 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 a, is, a, is a test. Life is a trust. But most importantly, life is a temporary assignment. We're just passing through here. And what we do during the dash that is our lives is put on every person's tombstone. That's going to speak volumes for generations to come. And my prayer and my hope is that the volumes that it speaks are volumes that are going to truly make a difference for generations because a wise individual leaves an inheritance for their children's children. And we desire our children's children to be blessed. And they're only blessed as we make the conscious decision to live a purpose-driven life. I pray that you were blessed by today's word. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. If you've never taken the opportunity to do either one of those things, won't you join me now in prayer? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I come before you a sinner. I believe that you sent your son to die that I might live. I believe that he lived died, rose again, ascended to heaven, and is coming back for sinners just like me. I confess my sin, I ask you into my heart, and I ask you into my life. 
Thank you, Lord, that by faith I am now saved. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd like to welcome you into the household of faith and into a loving relationship of salvation with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please email me and let me know of your experience or if you have any prayer requests or praise reports, please email me. The email address is livingtowitness at gmail.com. That's living, the number two, witness at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Pastor Derek Thomas encouraging you to live your life as a living witness.